Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and let us continue and finish our consideration of the throne of grace that is described in the 16th verse. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 What a blessed privilege we have to go to the high King of heaven, creator God of the universe, that dwells in a light that no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom belongs honor and glory forever and ever. Praise His blessed and holy name. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and all the power and the blessing and the riches and the wisdom and the glory forever. But we can go right into His presence at the throne of grace that has been set up for us by the Lord Jesus Christ dying and making that way open for us by a new and living way, even through His flesh. By laying down His life for us, chapter 10 of this same epistle tells us that we can go boldly into His presence. Let me remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ is the High King of Heaven and He serves and sits at the right hand of Almighty God. And that the Bible tells us in an expression that I personally like very much and I've shared with you a few times, that a great king, when in the midst of his army, would set up his pavilion. And while there might be 10,000 or 100,000 small two, four, six, or eight-man tents of a nondescript nature scattered across many hills to house a great army, in the midst would be a very large tent called a pavilion that would have pennants flying from it. The soldiers around a pavilion would be the chiefest of the army, the best that could be found to protect the king. These are the angels of God. They're called an innumerable company of angels. They're described as 10,000 times 10,000. They surround the throne of God, and that throne is set up in the field when God is engaged in war. But at the same time, he's at war against his enemies, and he's our father. Right. So the throne of grace is set up there, and by prayer, by prayer, we get to go through that army of angels and into that great pavilion, right into the presence of God, and he hides us in the secret places of his pavilion and of his tabernacle, which is another word for big tent. Thank you, Lord, for such descriptions like in Psalm 27 it tells us that. In Psalm 18 it tells us that in a couple of other places. I want you to think about a throne of grace where a king sits. It is unfortunate that we've never seen a real king. It's unfortunate that you've never been around a real king that has authority and has the power of life and death. Like the God, the king of the universe has. And like kings in the Bible had. Yet it tells us here, let us therefore come boldly. How should we come? (coughs) We should come boldly. Why should we come boldly? That's why the therefore is there. In Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore. When it says therefore, it is telling you that from verse 15... 
because we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We have one that was tempted in all points like as we are, but not without, but without sin. We can come boldly. He understands. He can relate to our sufferings and our temptations. Therefore, we can come boldly. But we must come. I showed you from Hosea chapter 14, the first seven verses, that the prophet said, Israel, return unto the Lord. And how should they return? They should take with them words. Not sacrifices, words. And those words were described as the calves of our lips. We don't offer burnt offerings and sacrifices of literal calves, but we can bring calves of our lips. That is words of praise, thanksgiving, repentance, reformation, and confession to Him that He receives as if we were killing a prized calf on an altar. Jesus Christ has already paid the sacrifice. That's the foundation. That's the platform for the throne of grace. But on that platform of redemption is a throne where God sits and we can go boldly to Him. Everyone in the history of the world had to go through a priest, whether that priest was of the Levitical order under Moses or that priest was a patriarch of the Jews. Abraham was his own priest. He would build an altar. He would offer a sacrifice. He would shed the blood of animals. And he would walk and talk with God. But we get to go into the presence of God by the finished sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, let us therefore come boldly. We cannot fear. We cannot doubt. Holding your finger there at chapter 4, look at chapter 10. And let me show you in this same epistle where Paul makes the same appeal to them to come boldly based on what Jesus Christ has done for us. Do you know the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that holy men everywhere ought to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting? When we pray, we ought to lift up holy hands. That's to show the Lord that I have no sin in my life. That means you confess your sins before you really get into praying. But you lift up holy hands. My hands are not doing anything that I should not be doing. My hands are doing everything that I should be doing. My hands are clean before you, Lord. Holy men everywhere ought to lift up holy hands without wrath. They're not angry. They're not holding grudges. They're not bitter at anyone without wrath, without doubting. Because James chapter 1 tells us, The man that doubts, don't let that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. If you have wavering faith, get over wavering faith. Lay hold of what the Bible tells us about the great God of heaven. Go read Psalm 18 and believe that the God of David is your God. And that by your God you can run through a troop and leap over a wall. Believe that and go boldly to him. Hebrews chapter 10, look what it says. Hebrews 10:19. Having therefore, I do want to tell you before I get any further in reading these three verses or four verses, that Hebrews is the most logical book of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is arguing very tight logical points consecutively from the very beginning of the epistle that Jesus Christ in New Testament Christianity is superior to Moses and everything of the Old Testament because it's written to Hebrews to keep them from backsliding to go back to Moses and temple worship when God was about to come with the Roman armies under Titus and destroy the city of Jerusalem, the temple, the priesthood, the altars, and all that it had. So there's this constant logical appeal to their scriptures and to understand that they shouldn't go back. And so here's another therefore. Therefore is a logical term. You say if, if, therefore. You say if, then. Or if, 
This is true. Therefore, this must be true. Hebrews is very logical. Here we go again with another therefore. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Those are baptized believers that have their hearts sprinkled figuratively by trusting the sprinkling of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ upon His elect, and they can come boldly into the holiest of all. The Old Testament tabernacle was divided into two sections. The first section took the first two-thirds. The last one was called the holiest of all. The population could only enter the courtyard to witness a sacrifice being made. The priest could go into the first, the first compartment every day, ministering about the ordinances of divine service. The high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But we get to go into the Holy of Holies anytime you choose. We can go into the Holy of Holies right now by a new and living way. Not the blood of bulls and goats and a scapegoat that Aaron had to use to get access to the Holy of Holies, but by the blood of Christ. And there it is, plainly stated to us, we have a new and a living way. That means it doesn't go away and has to be repeated next year because Jesus Christ is a living Savior and He ever lives to make intercession for us. If we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more shall we be saved by His life? Romans 5 and Romans 8 tell us that wonderful truth. But there it is. Look at it again in the second place. Verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness. It's something we have. Take it. Believe it. When we kneel in the privacy of your office, car, closet, wherever you pray, and you kneel and you approach the throne of grace, and you appeal to God your Father through Jesus Christ your Savior, you have entered into the holiest of all, which even under God's religion of the Old Testament, only the high priest could go once a year, and he had to take blood to cover his own sins. Jesus has put all that away. And when we kneel and we pray, you are in the presence of God, the great God, God the King of the universe, Almighty God, beside whom there is no other. And Jesus Christ is at His right hand, pleading His sacrifice for our sins, and we can come right into His presence. We can run down the halls of the palace of God. We can run through His pavilion and find His throne room and cast ourselves at Daddy's feet. We are the blood-bought children of Almighty God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we should have boldness, having therefore boldness, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, not the blood of a goat, not the blood of a bullock, no scapegoat waiting outside to put our sins on. They've been taken away forever. Because we have a new and living way, He's consecrated a new way for us. You know, everything under the Old Testament was consecrated. They would take blood and the priest would stick his thumb in that blood and they'd put that blood on everything to consecrate it. We have a way to God consecrated for us by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get down and you address God as your Father and you're one of His born-again children and you implore the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have just implored the name that is above every name that God our Father loves above every name and above every person and above every son. He is the firstborn among many brethren. You go straight into His presence. 
You don't have to wait in line. He can see us all at once. Yeah, you all hate waiting in lines. You hate waiting in lines at the doctor's office. You hate waiting in lines at a checkout counter. You don't have to wait in line when we go to the throne of grace. Amen. We have an infinite God there. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He doesn't have to take us one by one. He can take us all at once. There it is. We could comment more on those verses, but let's come back to chapter 4. I just wanted you to see that how Paul is trying to make a point. Do you know how powerful this was to a Hebrew? A Hebrew understood that little compartment called the Holy of Holies better than you do. A Hebrew understood that the high priest, only the high priest could go in there once a year, and he had to go in under very careful terms or he wasn't going to come out alive. You know, the tradition says that they had a rope tied to his foot because if he didn't come back, they could pull him out without anybody else having to go in there and get him. That's not in the Bible. I shouldn't have told you. I just want to make it serious. It is serious. But do you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ has opened it to us. So that's why we have Hebrews 4.16. Let us come boldly unto his throne. We're adopted children. Do you know what we looked like when he chose to adopt us? For when we were yet without strength, we had nothing to offer him. When we were enemies, God bestowed his love upon us. We were his enemies. We were the ugliest children you could ever imagine in the orphanage of sinners. And God came and rescued us then and chose us to be his adopted children. Now he's washed us with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ legally. He has sanctified us vitally by giving us a new man inside with the power of the Holy Ghost. We're very compatible with God our Father. If he loved us when we were ugly sinners, how much more does he love us now as his born-again sons? We can go boldly. I just want to encourage you to go boldly. When you drop to your knees, you are in the most intimate, the most powerful the most royal, the most pervasive place in the universe, you're in the presence of God. You're at the throne of grace. By faith, faith carries us there by the blood of Christ through a new and living way. And we go there boldly. You know, we go there boldly because we have a Savior standing there beside Almighty God that was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He suffered just like we do, and he's able to succor them. He's able to help them that come to God that way. As we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 2. I've already mentioned this about, he, about Nehemiah. Do you remember Nehemiah? In Nehemiah chapter 2, I've already mentioned it once. He was the king's cupbearer. The king was the king of the Persian Empire. You smiled when you worked for the king of the Persian Empire. It's a good little lesson for all of you when you go to work tomorrow. You should smile when you go to work. Because you should be thankful for the man who gave you a job. Don't call him disrespectfully the man. Call him yes sir and smile. It is a pleasure to work for you today sir. Your teachers wouldn't mind that either. It would probably help you at least a half a point. Yes ma'am. I'm so happy to have summer vacation over with and to be back with you. Anyway, to serve a king... You had to come very happily. Nehemiah knew the rule. Remember Esther, the king's own wife, fasted three days and three nights to approach his throne even though he was her husband. And he had chosen her from all the beauties of the Persian Empire. She still was fearful to enter that room without an invitation. And so she came to the door and stood there and he raised his royal scepter. The reason I remind you of those Bible stories is because you've never seen a king. 
We've never seen anyone in real authority and power. Our president and our division of labor, our division of powers at the highest levels of our government foster weakness in comparison to a king's despotic authority that he had. He could make a choice without asking the press or telling the press. And he could make all kinds of choices. Nebuchadnezzar could prepare a golden image. And if you didn't want to bow down and worship his golden image at the playing of his band, then he would just throw you into a fiery furnace. He didn't care about the Geneva Convention or the Supreme Court. We've never seen a king like that. But when you read about kings like that, then you understand they're thrones of terror. Do what the Bible says. The Bible says that the throne of an angry king is like the roaring of a lion. I can tell you what your body would do if you were in the dark in an African jungle and a lion roared. And I'll leave it to your imagination. But in the Bible, it's called your loins would be loosed. The anger of a king is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew on the grass. What a difference. And there was Esther wanting that favor, and she got it. By the grace of God, Ahazurus said, Esther, what, what do you want? To half the kingdom. And she said, just save my life and the life of my people. And that worked out all well, didn't it? The book of Esther tells us a wonderful story. But how about Nehemiah? Let's get back to Nehemiah, where we were headed. He's the king's cupbearer. He comes in. He's a sad face. And the king says, why are you sad? That is, that is a call for the executioner for the king, before the king of Persia. But Nehemiah prayed. And the point I want to make from those, and that verse from Proverbs that says that the wrath of a king is as the roaring of a lion... We have a lion standing be- beside the throne of judgment. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. <laughs> but brethren, we run to that throne. We run to that throne. Did Zacchaeus run to that throne? Do you know how fast he ran? Let me tell you. Lord, if I have wronged any man, I'll restore fourfold right now and I'll sell half my goods and give to the poor. That is running through the palace very fast. What did Jesus say? Today salvation has come to this house. How long did that transaction take? Seconds. How about this one? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. How's that running to the throne of God? Was there a throne of grace found there? Today. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. How's that? For speed. Daniel would say, while I was a-praying, in Daniel chapter 9, that's, go read it yourself. That's what it says. While I was a-praying, God sent Gabriel to give him an answer to his prayer. We can go boldly. It's not a throne of terror. It's not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. What is grace? Demerited favor. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You don't deserve it. But God gives it. Demerited favor. Thank you, Lord, for such a thing. Unto. Where do we want to go? It says, let us therefore come boldly unto. We've got to go to some place. And that place is the throne of God with Christ at His side. Jesus has passed into the heavens and has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where we want to go. That's where we go. That's where we go by faith as we pray. Lord God, my Father. And as we say those words when we pray, we are not thinking about anyone on earth. We are not thinking about any place on earth because His throne is in the heavens. And we're transported there by faith. And we can see the invisible God on His throne. Don't ask me how. 
you should all understand it if you'd pray. We see the invisible God on His throne and Jesus at His, at His right hand and we cast ourselves on His mercy and we bring with ourselves words. And we tell Him that we love Him. And we thank Him for being the great God. We describe Him as being the creator of everything in heaven or in earth. We describe Him as having no peer in heaven or in earth. We bless and praise His holy name. We thank Him for every good thing we have. We are in the presence of God. Let us therefore come boldly unto... We go to a place, the, there's only one of them. This is no average throne. This isn't even a great throne. This is the infinite throne of Almighty God. This is the throne of grace. Do you, do you want to hear that word again? Grace. Amen. In Zechariah chapter 4, the, 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 the rebuilding of Jerusalem was going to be covered with the shoutings of the people of God. Grace. Grace unto it. Because there was going to be so much of God's grace to take 42,360 Jews that came back from Babylon and rebuild that pile of rubble that was the Mount Zion and the city of Jerusalem. And they did it by God's grace. That's where we go. It's the throne of grace. There's only one of them. We don't go to a throne of grace. When we sing about a throne of grace in a song, we're singing about the only one there is. The throne of grace. Unless you want to call your throne of grace different from my throne of grace because God hears you as if I wasn't bothering Him at your throne. But don't bother with that because the Lord hears us all at once. Amen. Let me, you want to go to that throne of grace with Jonah? Here's what, I, here's what i got to communicate to you. Salvation has been covered for everyone in Ephesians chapter 4. They are already partakers of the heavenly calling. They are holy brethren from chapter 3 verse 1. Okay, just... We're so thankful for that. That's the new and living way that gets us to the throne of grace. But this grace and mercy to help us, what kind of grace and mercy is it since we're already saved? It's for all the things of life that plague us. It's why Jesus was made in the flesh like us, so that He could endure temptation and suffering just like we do. Temptations around Him all the time. The devil trying to get Him to sin. The world trying to get Him to sin. Men disappointing Him. He faced all those. And so it's the throne of grace because he's able to help us in those ways. I want you to turn to Jonah chapter 2 with me. I know it's a small book and it may be hard to find. Let's try. All of you that went to singing camp a couple of weeks ago, the children should know Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. One of the best things you can do. You want something to do while you're driving in the car? The 39 books of the Old Testament. Jonah. Watch Jonah. Here's, here's what I want to give you. From the Lord. This grace and this mercy is for the practical things that bother us daily. He suffered being tempted like we are. He was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He had people fail him. He had people disappoint him. He was forsaken. He was so troubled by their ignorance, their inability to learn, their faithlessness. He said, and, he, and you can read those things about him in the Gospels. He was tempted in, in those ways. He was tempted in every way as we are. And the help and the grace that he wants to give us in our time of need, the time of need is not the great day of judgment. The time of need is not the day you need to be reborn again. These are already born again people. This is like you right now, right? Is that? Amen. Okay. Okay. 
we've got something going then, Brother Mark. This is what we have right now. We, you know, there are times of need that are greater than other times of need. But Jesus Christ can help us. Now, I want you to think about Jonah. Did Jonah have a time of need? Did Jonah have a time of need? Yes. Was this guy in trouble? Did he need help? Yes. Was he in a fishy mess? Yes. Did we ever get ourselves in fishy messes? Amen. Watch. Jonah chapter 2. Oh, I love these words. Oh, listen. Jonah 2. Watch this. Watch this with me. Jonah 2, 7. When my soul fainted within me, would you faint if you were inside the belly of a whale three days and three nights? Those gastric juices are not the most pleasant thing you've ever swum in. Jonah 2, 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee. In and unto where? The throne of grace. My prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Let me explain that verse. They that observe lying vanities. Those people that worship other gods and have another way of religion, other than the religion of the God, Jehovah of the Bible, they forsake their mercy. They are choosing a religion that doesn't have mercy in it, like the Lord has mercy in it for us. They that observe lying vanities, those that follow false religion, forsake their own mercy. Because there's only mercy found in one place, at the throne of grace, in the temple of God. I fainted when I was in the belly of that whale. I prayed unto God. My prayer came into His holy temple. And He wants to tell you something right there. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, because mercy is found with the Lord. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And see, that wasn't getting saved from hell to heaven. That verse is quoted so many times, salvation is of the Lord. We believe that salvation from hell to heaven is entirely of the Lord. But when that was spoken, that was getting out of a whale's belly and back on land. Are you ever in a fishy mess where you need to get stood upright and cleaned off and put back on your right path? Salvation is of the Lord. I'm trying to save you from lying vanities. Don't go anywhere else but to the Lord. When you're sick, the first person you should contact and call is not the doctor. It's the Lord of heaven. It's going to the throne of grace, not the doctor's office. It's going to the throne of grace, not the internet. Beyourowndoctor.com Go to the Lord. Look at the... I hope you like those verses. I, mean, I just... I love these verses. When Jonah was in a mess. And the, what did that next verse say? And the Lord spake unto the fish... And it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. What do you think he was going to do? Kick it in the ribs from the inside and get out? The Lord did it all for him. The Lord can get you out of any mess you get into or someone else gets you into. The Lord can get you out of it. Whose fault was this that Jonah was in there? It was Jonah's fault. Are most of your troubles in your life someone else caused them or you caused them? I'll tell It's so good. Thank you, Lord, for being so merciful. No wonder it's called a throne of grace. It's called a throne, brethren, because the God of heaven is sitting on it. It's called a throne because he's called the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's God Almighty. That's who is sitting on the throne, and Jesus Christ is seated beside him. You say, but it's been talking about Jesus, then it says the throne of grace. That's right, because it's Jesus as a high priest. A high priest is not a mediator of one. A high priest is a mediator of two. You need a high priest in order to be able to do things for you with God. 
And that's God Almighty on the throne, Jesus Christ, sitting beside him. That is the throne of grace. Jesus Christ makes it gracious because he has his sacrifice and his ability to relate to us as a, as a man. He's God in the flesh, fully God, but as a man that experienced all of our temptations, yet without sin. Let's, let's go back to Hebrews, where we ought to be. But I wanted to show you that in Jonah. And we'll have some other places to turn in a moment. We, we, back to this throne. I just want to show you in Hebrews that the emphasis, the emphasis of Paul to these Hebrews was to get Jesus up on a throne. Now, now these Hebrews were used to a real separation of powers. If you were king, what tribe did you come from in Israel? You came from Judah. If you were priest, what tribe did you come from? Levi. That was a real separation of powers. Do we have something different in the Lord Jesus Christ? He's from the tribe of Judah and he is the high priest. That that was different. And so there's this constant repetition of Jesus on his throne and Jesus being a great high priest called after the order of Melchizedek to keep them straight in their minds how a man from Judah could be a priest. Hebrews 7 goes into it in great detail. But just look at a couple references. Look at 1.3. Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, being the brightness of his glory, that is the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. There is Paul putting Jesus Christ very high. Let's go to chapter 8 and verse 1. Hebrews 8, 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. I love it when an apostle tells us this is the bottom line. This is what I want you to get. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. We have a king priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's, there's many other verses, even in Hebrews, but we'll not go there. It is not a throne of terror. It's not a throne of unmitigated judgment. It's a throne of judgment for the wicked. The wicked are going to flee away from the face that sits on that throne in the great day of judgment. We're going to be welcomed in by the saving grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a king against whom there is no rising up. Did you know that there's a beautiful thing described in the Bible? Do you remember? A goat? What else is beautiful? Greyhound? A lion? And a king against whom there is no rising up. Proverbs chapter 30, toward the end of that chapter. Jesus is a king against whom there is no rising up. He will put all his enemies under his feet, including death. But we need not fear that. We should rejoice in that, that he's going to put all his enemies, all our enemies. And what's the last enemy that he's going to stomp on? Death. But we can come boldly because it's a throne of grace to us. It's no grace to the devil. It's no grace to the wicked. It's no grace to death. It's no grace to the grave. It's grace to us. It's a throne of grace. Don't wait till you're better to come to this throne. Do you know there's a temptation in our hearts? I will go and be a serious man of prayer once I get my life straightened out. There's only one way for you to get your life straightened out. One minute at the throne of grace. And to confess your sins and to come clean before God. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Get get rid of a double-minded heart, purify it into one holy zeal for God, and do it with words before His throne, and mean every one of those words as much as you are able. 
That's how you get right with God. That is a lie of the devil that tells you to wait until you're better. That's a lie of the devil that I need to show that I'm, I'm, I'm better than this for a few days. Listen, by before a few hours pass, you will have forgotten about your commitment to serve the king. You go to the king as you are. Are you meaning to talk to me like Adam in the trees of the garden? I'm going to go ahead and hide in these trees and God's not going to find me? Let's run out of those trees and fall at his feet. Let's strip off our fig leaves and say, here I am naked. Do you know why? Because we're already naked in his eyes. Hebrews 4.13, all... Uh, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. It's a throne of grace. Poor Esther. She didn't have a throne of grace if she had to worry about it three days and three nights and feared greatly to go in to see her husband, the king, Ahasuerus, the king of the Persian Empire. But we have a throne of grace. And the, and the grace and the mercy we're talking about here are related to Him being tempted in all points like as we are because of that 15th verse and the use of the word therefore. Now let me share a couple places with you to, to tell you about that. Look at James chapter 5. I want to encourage your hearts right now that in your heart, tonight with your wife, this afternoon, in your car, at home, you can go to the throne of grace and obtain great favor and mercy and grace and blessing from the Lord. Today, right now, today, let's not wait till tomorrow. The throne of grace is open. The purchase price that makes it so easy, it makes it so easy, it sounds wrong. Because we know there's no free lunch. The lunch wasn't free. Jesus paid for it with His life. The Son of God paid for it with His life. But we get to go freely. We get to go boldly. He went painfully. Did you hear the verse, Hebrews 5, 7, earlier today? With strong crying and tears, he begged God for mercy in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet as a son, he learned obedience for the things which he suffered to become our perfect captain of our salvation. Here's the mercy and grace. I want to give you a few verses out of many. Out of a long, long list of many lines. Of so many good verses, I want to give you a few about what the grace and mercy is like. So you can make it personal. James 5.11 Behold, we count them happy which endure. Put up with your little sufferings right now because you're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living if you'll hold on. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Did God lift all that trouble off of Job? Did, Did God restore Job's children? Did God restore all of Job's stuff? Did He double all of Job's stuff for having gone through the trial? Is the Lord very pitiful and of tender mercy? What are those words? Mercy? Oh, this is the kind of mercy you're... Yes! He lost his family. He got his family back. He lost his stuff. He got his stuff back. You lose your job... The first place to go is not the employment commission. It's not a recruiter. It's the throne of grace. Job went there, and look what happened to Job. And Job didn't go there very well. And the Lord's merciful, isn't he? You have heard of the patience of Job. (laughs) No, I really haven't. Isn't the Lord gracious? Because Job wasn't as patient as he could have been. But he did better than you and me. 
We get upset at a far, far less than Job got upset about. And if you had three friends like Job, what would you have done? I'd be in prison for homicide, but no, I would, I'm just, those were three miserable, miserable comforters. The Bible, they were so pitiful. I don't know how, oh, friends, we can do better than that in this church. Look at Isaiah 30. Isaiah, while you're turning to Isaiah 30, just let me mention a few. How many times in the Gospel of Matthew did Jesus pass by the way and blind men would sit there that couldn't travel? They didn't have seeing eye German shepherd dogs yet. And so they would sit by the way. Do you remember their words? It was, a, it was great pleasure reading over all of them again to understand this mercy and this grace that's given to us in a time of need. Does a blind man have a need? Oh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Get him over here. What wilt thou that I do unto thee? Lord, that I might have my sight. Be it unto thee as thou wilt. Is that a throne of grace? Are the Gospels worth reading? Or are they just to fill up the first third of the New Testament? Oh, my. Some of those blind men have been blind for so long. They'd been teased in school. They'd been kicked out of school. They couldn't support themselves. They had to beg with their little cups. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. That's going to the throne of grace. What wilt thou that I do unto thee? Lord, that I might receive my... I could just... What do you need to receive right now? Oh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Do you know where that takes you? With the formation of those words? To the throne of grace. What wilt thou that I do unto thee? Tell him. You say, but my list is so long. He was tempted in all points like as you are. And you will never be in a situation like he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to read to you in Isaiah chapter 30. Verse 18. Matthew said we need to have a highlighter. See if you want to highlight these about going to the throne of grace. Isaiah 30 and verse 18. Follow with me for a few verses and see if they're not worth it. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. When ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left, ye shall defile also the covering of thy graven images of silver and the ornament of thy molten images of gold. 
Thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. Thou shalt say unto it, Get thee hence. Then shall he give the rain of thy seed, that thou shalt sow the ground withal, and bread of the increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous. In that day shall thy cattle feed in large pastures. The oxen likewise and the young asses that ear the ground shall eat clean provender, which hath been winnowed with the shovel and with the fan. And there shall be upon every high mountain and upon every high hill rivers and streams of waters in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of His people and healeth the stroke of their wound. That is what you get from going to the throne of grace. That was the throne of grace to Israel and the recovery out of captivity. That is, those are great verses. That is prosperity just heaped upon us in word pictures. Look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103. There's, there's many. Did a woman come out of the coast of Canaan and cry to Jesus to have mercy on her daughter that was vexed with the devil? Did a man come and say, Jesus, my son's a lunatic. My son's a lunatic. They haven't been able to do anything for me. Cast himself in the fire. Your disciples couldn't heal him. When everyone else forsakes you, there's one place to go. The throne of grace. Jesus said, come out of him. Wow. And he threw himself on the ground and was received by his father in his right mind. The disciples wanted to know how Jesus was able to do that, and they couldn't. And Jesus said, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. That's right. What? Do you mean there are some situations we may get ourselves into that we ought to pray and fast about them? Are we such lazy Christians of the 21st century that prayer and fasting is a thing of old times? This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Instructional words. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 5, when it's talking about marriage and men and women having a, having a regular sexual relationship to protect them from incontinence and fornication, said... The only excuse given for not having sex on a regular basis was that a husband and a wife may give themselves to prayer and fasting. When you're dealing with the impossible, you can make it possible by prayer and fasting. Not only possible, if it's God's will, you can make it certain. But sometimes the Lord wants to see a greater degree of zeal and effort on our part. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Psalm 103, you know it so well. Is there grace and mercy in this passage? Let's start at verse 6. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. If you're oppressed, there's one place to go. And it's not before the courts of this world. Sometimes they don't even show up. But when you go to the throne of grace, He's always there. Verse 7, He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts, unto the children of Israel. And what were those ways and acts? Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Is that the throne of grace? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He already said that, merciful, in the first part of the verse. Why does he say plenteous in mercy at the end of the verse when he said merciful at the front part of the verse? Isn't that redundant? Is this redundant? Throne of grace, to obtain mercy, to find grace, 
to help in the time of need. I don't think it's redundant. I like every one of those. Verse 9, he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Run to him. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Run to him. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Run to him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, and he is our father, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Run to him. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust, because Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. Verse 15, as for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. The Lord knows that about us. The wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. That is the throne of grace. That is the throne where you get mercy to help and grace to help in time of need. Turn to Psalm 116 and then we'll go back to Hebrews. Psalm 116, my brother read the first couple of verses in his thanksgiving about the Lord's mercy toward his son Matthew. Let me read a few more verses there. It won't hurt you to remember this psalm. Psalm 116, I'm going to start at verse 1. We're looking for descriptions about God's practical mercy and practical grace. Whether you're in the belly of a whale or you've lost your children, you've lost all your assets... Whatever the case is, that is what Hebrews 4.16 is about. If it's caused by your sins, someone else's sins, no one sins at all except the sinful world that we live in, that's what it's for. Psalm 116, I love the Lord. I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because He hath inclined His ear unto me, therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. Here's the mercy and the grace. The sorrows of death compassed me. I was surrounded by death. And the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. That's a messed up man in verse 3. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. Here's going to the throne of grace. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Answer, gracious is the Lord. Gracious, because he... Gives grace to help in time of need. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is, there's that word again, merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. Yes, God will bring you low and then he'll help you. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. That is grace and mercy to deal bountifully with you when you have trouble and sorrow, pain, fears of death in your life. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I'm alive, I'm going to stay alive, and God has dealt bountifully with me because He is full of mercy. That's going to the throne of grace. Work, family, children, health, marriage, politics, our government, our country, our church, take it to the throne of grace. He is able to deal bountifully. There is no limit to the treasury of heaven when the Lord Jesus Christ calls for the check. By His grace, He has purchased all those blessings for us. We pray with a purpose. We go to the throne of grace to obtain that mercy that we're talking about. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that 
We go with a purpose. Let's not pray, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for His food, by, for this food, by His grace we all are fed, give us God our daily bread. I think that's some little memorized. Oh, no. You didn't get out of the room. Get down and take with you some words, some words from your own soul. Not memorize little prayers like a Catholic. We don't pray Hail Marys and O Fathers, Our Fathers with a string of beads. Take with you some real words because we're going for the, with a purpose. We want to reach the Lord and plead our case and have Jesus Christ intervene for us and get us an answer of blessing and favor. He honors the purpose. You know what the Bible says? You have not because you ask not. And then sometimes we ask to consume it on our lusts and we don't get what we pray for. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we... Fools and the wicked can call all they want, but God will not hear. The Bible says that repeatedly, that we may obtain. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Whatsoever things ye shall ask in my name, believing, ye shall receive them. That's obtaining. Go back to Hebrews 4.16 so that you're looking at it. Hebrews 4.16, I don't want you to forget it. I certainly don't want you to forget it today. And I hope that you might remember it every day of your life, that when troubles assail you, when you're in a fishy mess, when your children are giving you trouble, when your job is in danger, when your finances are messed up, when you're scared, when you're guilty, when you've got sin, go to the throne of grace. Get down and believe this verse right here. Lay hold of this verse. Remember that Jesus Christ made it possible by a new and living way and go boldly into his presence. Lord, I'm in trouble. I am messed up and I need your help in this part of my life. Deliver me, O Lord. He'll he'll deliver you. If he isn't going to deliver based on all the Bible has to say about this, then our religion is false. But our religion is true and the Bible is full of this. And men have done it from cover to cover and been blessed. There, here we are at Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. And now you understand that mercy applies to every part of your life. Every fear you have, every woman in here that's going to give birth in the next few hours or days or weeks or months, go to the throne of grace. I think childbirth might be able to get you to the throne of grace. You've got, a, you've got a bunch of friends in the assembly, but they can't do it for you, can they? But do you know what? There's a God in charge of childbirth. And he's at the throne of grace. And the Lord Jesus Christ stands at his right hand. You beg that throne of grace. Are you going to have a time of need? It's called transition. Are you going to have a time of need? There's grace to help in a time of need. You can call on your husband all he wants. He'll squeeze your little hand and kiss your little sweaty forehead. But he's not going to be able to do much more. And I know you're so warmed and that he's there beside you. I, I didn't know what my role was at birth. I, I did my best, but I couldn't do a thing of any value it, to me. But I know a God that can. I know a God that can speak in the clouds and make thunder. And it says in the Bible that he causes the... He causes the... The deer of the field to calve, to go, into chi- to go into birth. Every one of you has one, two, five, ten or more needs. You're going to have more. You young people, 
They're going to get bigger and worse. Your life is a vacation right now. You think you have a hard life as a teenager living at home? You're on vacation. Everybody does everything for you. I pay for my gas. Oh, bless your heart. Bless your heart. Mine's pumping peanut butter for you. Life is going to have times of need. I wish that it weren't so, except that would be wishing against God's sovereign will for us. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, and in, and in faithfulness thou hast afflicted me, the Bible tells us in Psalm 119. Many afflictions are coming, but I'm telling you where to go. And you can get peace that passes understanding at the throne of grace. That means it can't be explained. That means it comes from a place you don't know. You can't buy it. You can't get it. You can't get it from anyone. You can't hold it in your pocket. It's at the throne of grace. God gets you on your knees, and God can give you a peace that passes understanding from the throne of grace. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Broad mercy, as you've seen from a few passages. Broad mercy. This isn't salvation mercy. Salvation mercy, salvation mercy is already in place. This is broad mercy for the rest of our lives. Everything else in our lives. All the points that Jesus was tempted in, yet without sin. He can relate to all those aspects of our lives. And, there's, he just wants to repeat, and find grace to help in time of need. You know, sometimes we have friends and they come around in our time of need and the things they say aren't very helpful. You know, the Bible says that there are those that sing songs, those that be of a heavy heart, and it's like taking away a coat in cold weather. That is not a nice thing to do when you take away a coat from somebody in cold weather. And some friends are about as good. Job's friends were worse than that. But some aren't very good. But you know what, you know what this last clause says? And find grace to help in time of need. This isn't just some concept of grace. This isn't just some legal grace. This isn't just some final grace when we're glorified in heaven. This is grace that helps. To find grace to help. That's what we really need. Grace that helps. I do not mean any disrespect for the sentence about to come out of my mouth. But hearing about God's grace and reading about God's grace in the Bible is not all that this verse has. This verse has more. Because all of that may not be enough to help at times. You may need God's direct Giving and granting of grace and mercy in a particular matter in your life. Beyond that. Purchased by that, but beyond that. And he's willing to give it. Every man in the Bible knows that. Whether it's sight, children, finances, health. Did Hezekiah go to the throne of grace? Isaiah came in and spoke to him on his deathbed and said, Set your house in order, thou shalt surely die, according to the testimony of God. Hezekiah said, we'll see about that. He rolled over and went to the throne of grace. He rolled over and faced the wall and he made a short prayer. Isaiah was trucking out through the palace. He didn't get past the middle court and God said, turn around and go back in there and tell my king Hezekiah, my servant, that I'm giving him 15 more years. How's that? He didn't even have any tests run. Praise the Lord. He went to the throne of grace. And he got grace that helped. What if Isaiah had just said, God's been gracious to Israel? Hezekiah would have said, Amen, brother. 
But how about a little for me? And that wouldn't be selfish. Did the Lord Jesus Christ beg for mercy for himself in the Garden of Gethsemane? With strong crying and tears. And was he heard? Absolutely he was heard. Angels were dispatched from heaven to strengthen the Son of God in his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, no disrespect to the grace of God in general as it's taught in the gospel of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm talking about specific grace when you need it to accomplish what you're going to try to do this next school year. And you, and you, on Tuesday, you better be to the throne of grace before Tuesday. It might not be orientation, it might be annihilation. Every one of us have situations... Grace to help in time of need. Sometimes are tougher than other times. And may the Lord bless you to remember the throne of grace in your time of need. I had a little sister in this church write me this week and sort of asked me to tell all of you because she was convicted about this that we shouldn't wait until we're in physical trouble before we start asking God for health. You know, we should be going to the throne of grace on a regular basis and asking for health and asking for strength and asking for God to preserve us and keep us and put a hedge about us and be merciful to us and gracious to us. And like I quoted from 2 Timothy 1.18, we can even pray for that great day that's coming that the Lord will be merciful to us like Paul did for Onesiphorus. There's some needs coming. You, you need wisdom? What does the Bible say? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. There he is at the throne of grace. How will God give the, give the wisdom? Liberally. Will he upbraid you for, doing, for asking for it? Oh, what a gracious God. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. Are you going to do that this week? Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There stands at the right hand of the great God, who is seated on his throne, the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered being tempted so that he is able to succor, help us who are tempted. He was tempted in all points like as we are, and because of that, we have a throne of grace. It's not a throne of terror. It's not a throne of difficulty. It's a throne of grace. And there's mercy and grace there to help you in your time of need. May the Lord bless you and me, to go to that throne. And if we go to that throne in all the sincerity that I've preached today, and we still have a serious matter facing us, then we ought to go to that throne with fasting and prayer. And we don't give up at the throne of grace until the baby dies. And you know what I mean by that expression. We don't give up at the throne of grace because things may go from bad to worse. Because they went from bad to worse in the life of a man named Jacob. He was wrestling with God at the throne of grace. And God reached down and touched his thigh and his thigh went out of joint. And you lose the powerful muscles of your lower body in a wrestling match. You are severely impaired. Do you think Jacob let go? God said to Jacob, let me go. It's about the day's, the day's about to break. Morning's almost here. Let me go. I will not let you go until you bless me. Is it wrong to approach the throne of grace like that? Or is that the way we're supposed to approach the throne of grace? Amen. That is going boldly, isn't it? Yes. 
I will not let you go until you bless me. Even when things went from bad to worse. He, he was greatly hindered in his wrestling. What was said a few moments later. Your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel. Because you're a prince with God and you have prevailed. I give you the wrestling match. The blessing you want is yours. And Jacob got up that morning and saw his brother that had sworn he would kill him. The next time he laid eyes on him, coming with 400 men, and all he had was 11 little boys that were 13 years of age and under. And Esau ran up to him and kissed him on his neck and said, Brother, what's all this stuff you've been sending? And isn't it good to see each other? How about if I take my 400 men and I'll go the rest of the way. If anybody touches you, I'll tear them in half. Praise God. Kathy, I remember going to the throne of grace with you about your son. Gerald, praise God. He's not here, so we're not saying it to, to butter him up or anything, but we're, we're saying it to praise the God of heaven about your son, Jerry. May the Lord be praised, and may you go to the throne of grace boldly as we should. In Jesus' name, amen.